welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast which we disassemble a film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe into one-minute segments and then examine it in obsessive and occasionally hilarious detail. I'm Kyle Olson from the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society podcast. Hey, and I'm Rob Cabosco and Kyle. Yeah. Gases that glow. Ooh. <laughs> neon. I'm out. That's all I got. So neon. Well, okay. And neon. Do you know what neon's natural light is? The natural color? I don't. It's, it's actually red. Oh. Now, okay. other gases, there are other gases that do emit glows, obviously in varying levels of intensity and paleness. Helium actually does have a pale yellow glow. So it has to, I mean, obviously it's quantity, all of this. Um, there's mercury vapor that emits a blue light. Uh, argon is also blue. And uh, sodium vapor is uh, yellow. Yellow, yeah. We've, so, we've seen sodium lights a lot. Like, exactly. Those. Uh, the majority of neon signs, as you immediately thought, everyone thinks of neon. Uh, those contain either neon gas or actually a mixture of neon and mercury vapor. Hmm. Meaning, like older neon lights, beautiful, dangerous. <laughs> when Tell I me. was a, I guess I was a teenager, uh, my aunt who's like the the youngest of, of that family so she was probably in her, her mid-20s she had an apartment uh right out of college with a friend of hers and so i went over and visited and she had they had made a friend who was a neon artist and so they had a custom neon thing and it was you're gonna love this it was brazil from the movie brazil the movie brazil oh he that's created gotta be gorgeous the neon sign from the poster and they had it on there and i was like that's amazing. So they had a real neon sign of Brazil hanging on the wall. And I was like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like when I grow up, I hope I have something I, this cool. I want a real neon sign. <laughs> Actually, a couple of years later, I asked her what happened to that. And she's like, oh, I don't, I don't even know. I was like, oh, come on. Wait, Where did it go? Yeah. Like she, she didn't even remember what happened to it after that. I was like, he made you a custom. I always want to. Shout out to a... Aunt Janet who doesn't listen to the show. but Come still, on, Aunt Janet. There you cool. go. I always wanted the original, uh, well, not the original. I always thought it would have been great to have an actual neon sign of the Doctor Who logo when it was neon. Mm, you know, late yeah. end of Tom oh, Baker, yeah. Peter Davis and Colin Baker. Um, yeah, I always thought that would be cool too. But neon just, I always just, it fascinated. And it's an art mm-hmm. form. I mean, you know, it's still p- kind of popular, actually. It's still used a lot of downtowns. Uh, yeah. They have sort of that style and uh, clearly had its heyday. If you've ever seen Cars, you'll know that neon <laughs> I was thinking it. the exact same thing. Sure thing. Uh, but... Anyway, why did I bring that up? There's a moment in this minute that I went, huh, what lights up? <laughs> it travels through a tube. <laughs> that's okay. right. Yeah, that's a good question because uh, we're going to examine that here in minute five of Iron Man 2 from 2010, directed by John Favreau. Uh, we are still in the montage title sequence uh, and Boy, oh boy, are we going to get into a bunch of names today. <laughs> I haven't even count them, but boy, it took me a long time to, to look them up. So uh, we're going to go through uh, the names one by one as they go through. And then uh, obviously the, whatever shots are going to happen here. I'm going to try and make things as interesting as we can. But boy, there's a lot of names to get through. So uh, I'm, I'm sorry. By the time it gets to the end, uh, you're not going to get a, a full in-depth thing. But that's what the Internet is for. If you really want to find out more about them, they're out there. We're going to give you the entertaining version of that. That's right. Uh, so uh, we start out with uh, we we see a that's uh, a monochrome monitor there. Uh, I think uh, because we see green characters in Cyrillic going by. It's one of those things where like this is my American eccentric thing. It was sort of like oh, of course Russian programmers would program in Russian. <laughs> it's like one of things like I never really can thought of that before. I'm like right. oh yeah, everybody doesn't use HTML the same way. What? Oh okay. 
I, that's not really, I'm not, and I know nerds is not a programming language, but I like to do it for the wide spectrum appeal. Uh, so the first name we say pop up here is music by John Debney. And I have to say, I have really become a fan of John Debney since starting doing my research on the show. Like I had really not known him as much more like, it was just one of those names that go by like, uh, uh, well, I say, I can't even think of any at the top of my head. Oh, one of those names that go by that you're like, yeah, okay. Use the music. Great. But like, he is a, a amazingly prolific talent. He has 214 composer credits on IMDb. And uh, just like we talked about in the in the last show, uh, he is also a second generation. So he is the son of Louis Debney, who is a longtime Disney producer and also a musician in his own right. Wow. So uh, John has actually been writing music for Disney since the 80s. Uh, his, some of the highlights include uh, television. Uh, he did music for Fame, the television show. He did music for Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, a little film you might have heard of called Hocus Pocus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the the before the Pirates of the Caribbean pirate movie called Cutthroat Island. And Rob, uh, he actually has a, another connection to a show that you just mentioned because he did the music for Doctor Who when it was on Fox. Wait, the, the made-from-TV movie? Yep. In 1996 yep. with uh, Paul McGann. Exactly. Really? That's right. Oh, I missed that. Never wow. skip eight. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, um, but yeah, but in the, but a couple other things that uh, that come through uh, relevant to this conversation, he did uh, first of all the Greatest Showman, uh, Elf, know. and I know one of your personal favorite movies, The Passion of the Christ. The, wh- okay, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, uh, I, if you I, want to know I more about John, actually, if you want to hear a recent interview, uh, Disney has a terrific. If you're especially if you're a uh, movie composer fan, they have a podcast called Four Scores. That's F O R, and they interview. Uh, the composers about their music and they play pieces of it too. And he actually was on a recent episode. So I recommend after you're done listening to this, go download four scores and download his episode and listen to him. Cause he's actually a fascinating interview. Now I was going to say, now it's interesting. You mentioned passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. That is a haunting score that really, yeah. you know, I mean, if you've never seen that movie, obviously for, for reasons otherwise, or, you know, it is really amazing in, in terms of the, the storytelling and the themes and everything that he's put into that. Now, Elf. So Elf is his uh, first collaboration with John Favreau. Correct. Um, he also, before that though, uh, oh, actually, right around that time, his his entry into the comic book universe. Do you know what movie that is? I don't. So he did. Even though we think of Danny Elfman, mm-hmm. he did additional music for Spider Man Two. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Because uh, we yeah, we talked about that on uh, our Spider Man episode back in the uh, Road to Infinity days. Right. Uh, that uh, there was a falling out between Sam Raimi and uh, uh, Danny Elfman, and so John Debney stepped in to do the rest of the music. Exactly. Yeah, we we didn't totally uh, mentioned that. And then uh, there was also well, he's also did Zathura mm-hmm. uh, again his second time with uh, Favreau, and uh, then that's when he did. Yes, he did. Um, did additional work for Spider-Man three. Uh, and he's done. Yeah. He's just an amazing amount of stuff. I love the story. Like all of these guys, like if you look back, Danny Elfman, uh, Michael Giacchino, Giacchino, Mm -hmm. is that how you say it? I think it's Giacchino. Giacchino. Yeah. Um, and then like one of my favorites, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, Mm. the, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the composers who can, who can find these elements, all obviously the grandfather, all this is John Williams. Yeah. The people who can find themes and tie them together musically, to help be that additional storyteller, it's fantastic. And already you hear it. You hear it in these opening minutes of this movie. Yeah. 
this movie's got a theme. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, 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 Marvel movie music gets a bad rap for not having recognizable themes, and I, I'm one of those people who say that. Uh, but I say, as I've been listening to the score, I have been really, really impressed with with this much more. I, you know, much as I like the Incredible Hulk, the music was not super standoutish. Except for, uh, except for uh, Betty except for, and Bruce. Except for the Betty and Bruce, yeah, on the, on the helicopter. But like I say, like even just from this, like this, the, the, a very different feel. Like he has right. Russian without being like, you know, um, stereotypical here as as uh, we're seeing Ivan's Metamorphosis, which is the name of the track. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm looking forward to talking about some of that stuff because he has some he has some really, really good pieces as we move through. And actually, there's a there's a, a, a mu- music mu- moment coming up in the next couple of episodes that just blew my mind. So mm. there's a little tease for the future. Uh, nice. But let's let's move on because we have a lot of names to get through. Uh, but see, so the next uh, thing we see on screen that's interesting is we actually learned that uh, the person of the year for 2009 in the MCU was Iron Man. Okay. Again, uh, really one wonderful sort of a collage here of just about three or four items. Uh, yeah, we see a great Time magazine again, weathered and taped up there. Yeah. Um, also, already pointing to the theme that comes up in this movie is there's a, a front page of the Washington Times. You can't f- make out the full thing, but you know what it says is lunacy paralyzes Pentagon. And mm-hmm. questions arise over outstanding contracts. They're already leading you into what the eventual storyline of this mm-hmm. movie is going to be. That's right. Yeah, we're going to read into that government over the exciting world of government oversight. Exactly. Um, uh, next name that pops up is Dave Jordan. Dave Jordan is the music supervisor. He has 113 credits on the MDB and including most of the MCU. Uh, the uh, as I was going through his stuff, uh, that was interesting that his big break year was in the year 2000. And he did four notable movies in that year. And the four movies he did the music supervising for were The Family Man, starring Nicolas Cage a, in, in, in a family comedy. Um, sort of, yeah. Dude, Where's My Car? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Next Best Thing, which was uh, when they were trying to position uh, Madonna in a romantic comedy uh, with Rupert Everett. And here's a, a movie you never thought we would ever bring up on any Marvel movie minute ever. Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. What? Wow. <laughs> yeah. But I say that this was Dave Jordan's big year. He did all four of those movies in one year. And from then on, it was just like sky's the limit. Like he's done the, like amazing top 10 you know, movies kind of thing. But like those were the dues that he paid. The Clumps. The clumps, and you. There, hey, hey, and, and once again, another tradition of numbers. Nutty Professor, I, I, Nutty Professor, two. Oh wow! Seriously, that's ah, crazy. Uh, our next, uh, next uh, list of things is basically uh, we could do the entire episode about this next name and never really even barely scratch the surface of how important she is to the MCU, and that's Victoria Alonso. I would say. She is probably the most important person at Marvel who isn't named Kevin Feige. She has produced every Marvel movie in the MCU and all of the one shots as well. She was born in Argentina. She is the executive vice president of production and is responsible for everyone, everything, you know, that isn't Kevin Feige's job. And, and, And what I'm told is beloved. Like she is the, the grand dame of the MCU. Interesting. 
Yeah. Huh. And so like one of those one of those unsung people, like she doesn't really care about the the spotlight. She cares about getting her work done. Uh and so but, but that, that being said, she has some really good interviews on uh on the YouTube that you can check out. She's she is a fascinating, fascinating person. And, and we would not have these movies without her. All right. Uh the next name that pops up is Jeremy Latcham. Jeremy Latcham is interesting because he is the producer of this movie, but only has eight credits on IMDb. And you're like, huh, that's unusual and it is unusual however those eight movies are iron man iron man 2 the avengers guardians of the galaxy avengers age of ultron spider-man homecoming and bad times at the el royale holy oh, crap didn't <laughs> be really lucky to have one of those and by the way you're, you're counting and you're like wait a minute is that that's only seven yeah because the next movie he's working on is the dungeons and dragons movie what yeah so like maybe maybe he's choosy but like he has a really really good taste. Wait, that's an incredible list. What? Yeah. I know. Oh, you'd be, you'd be wow. like, you get one of those on your. Okay, way to go. Very okay, nice. and so okay, so the next I'm saying we got to move through these because there's so. Oh many no! Wait, wait, just one thing I just want to add yeah, in. Yeah, go ahead. When go we ahead. do those co-producers, yes. On screen, we've now switched to something that is now starting to resemble something. We see um, Ivan's hands, and they are working on a circular device, a small hmm. circular device of some something kind round? that has w- like, round, a, like, a, like a bracelet, like or a, uh, around the size of a bracelet, maybe a little smaller, bigger. Like a, it's got wires wrapped like around a, it, like a piston mount. It's like something. It's it's looking like something. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So let's move into the associate producers. Uh, associate producers. Uh, we have Karen Johnson. She is now Karen Gilchrist. Uh, we hope, hope the marriage is going well. Um, so this is these actually the two names there are, and then Eric Heffernan. These are people who are uh, were have come up with John. So basically, Karen Johnson was uh, John Favreau's former personal assistant, then became his assistant, and now is an associate producer on his projects, including being a co-executive producer on a little show called the mandalorian that's fantastic yeah that's 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 the way it works in hollywood is like you find somebody you work with and you trust and you like and you help them move up along with you because so uh eric heffernan is actually the first assistant director even though he's accredited as associate producer uh which means he's basically uh john favreau's right hand on the set so the person who goes quiet on the set that's the first ad so like he's doing everything that john isn't doing um and so those are the one, those are the ones that are really like no have to know where everything is and what's going on constantly on the set. So those those are some of the hardest working people on the set. You know, it's not surprising that those hardest working people are uh, sharing the screen with uh, a character, a beloved character of this. That's movie. right. There she is. There's our girl. There's Arena. <laughs> Being here portrayed by Elvis. Getting a quick drink of water from a goblet. We're at minute five. The numbers at four. Yeah, four sighting. That's amazing. <laughs> so many birds. It's incredible. Uh, the next name that pops up is uh, Janik Sears. That is the visual effects supervisor. Uh, also on this movie is actually the second assistant director. So whatever Eric Heffernan is not doing, uh, Janik is doing. Uh, it turns out he didn't really like the second assistant job because he went back to his main job, which is being a visual effects supervisor. But let's see. He's got 61 credits, including a little film you might have heard of called The Matrix. Oh, geez. so yeah, he knows his stuff. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, so it, I, if we have any, I say all the criticism I have in this movie, none of them about the visual effects. So way to go, Janik. Well, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. I'm probably not because I'm terrible at pronunciation. The next name that pops up is uh, Mary Zofris. Uh, she has 45 credits on IMDb, and she actually does a ton of work with 
the Cohen brothers. Uh, they, they picked her up on Fargo and have never let her go. And she recently got nominated for an Oscar for the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, have not heard of that. Yeah. Oh, really? That's a, that was a Netflix original. Oh, okay. That was the Cohen brothers. who did a, a, a bunch of cowboy stories altogether. Uh, Buster Scruggs okay. is played by um, a, a veteran of the uh, Incredible Hulk, actually. Oh, who's that? Uh, you'll have to go and find I'll out. I'll have to. All right. There's got to be homework <laughs> then. All right. Well, there you go. Because he actually, yeah, that actually, uh, he plays Buster Scruggs himself. Oh, okay. So, uh, however, uh, I would not say Ballad of Buster Scruggs is a, is a uh, several stories together. Not all of them are super pleasant or happy. So go in with a different, uh, like, I'm going to sit down with my popcorn and my kid and have a good Yay. old time. Like, like to escape the uh, misery of the uh, world. Actually, yeah, uh, there's some misery in there because it turns out the Wild West wasn't really good for everybody. It so. was not. Yeah, but it's the Coen brothers, so it always has a nice spark and uh, feel to it. So uh, see, the next name that pops up is uh, Dan Liebenthal uh, and uh, Richard Pearson. Those are the guys who do the editing here. Uh, Dan has worked with John on a, on a ton of things and would go on to do the movies known as Spider-Man. So the so once again, wonderful editing. Thing. And if you want to actually hear him talk about his work, he was just on an episode of the Rough Cut podcast. So look for that. Uh, let's see. Richard Pearson did a little movie that I really enjoyed called The Rundown, starring Dwayne Johnson uh, back when he was first starting out as oh, an actor. Oh, that's one of his early, yeah, his early that's ones, right. right? And then, that's right. And then so now going to the other end of his career, Richard Pearson recently completed his work on Wonder Woman 84. Oh. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, let's see. Next name on the list is J. Michael Riva. So he is an Oscar nominee and an Emmy winner. Uh, he did. Uh, he basically, if you liked any of the visual look of the films of the '80s, it was because of him. Because he did Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth Dimension, The Goonies, Lethal wow. Weapon, and Scrooged, to name just four. Wow. Yeah. So like the the aesthetic of all of the the '80s that was all because of J. Michael Riva. Oh, he's working with Bill Murray, and I yes. mean that's yes. okay. Exactly. That's uh, he met John Favreau while they were doing Zathura, uh, oh, and okay. sadly, his final film was Django Unchained because he passed away in June of 2012. Oh, but left a massive legacy that uh, we are still enjoying today. Oh, absolutely. Just a note too: is his name appears so far all while these names are appearing. It's just again more montage of mm-hmm. Ivan working on stuff. But when we get to um, uh, to J. Michael Riva's name, uh, it does now clip to another uh, article clipping on the wall. This is obviously from some newspaper, and it Ooh. says Iron Man stabilizes East-West relations. Which, how? <laughs> Which uh, is amazing. a story I would really like to read. <laughs> now, this, and I don't think this is East-West Chicago. I think this is, I think these are <laughs> East-West relations global. Take your pick. But again, this is this is also uh, foreshadowing a discussion that will be that will happen early in the movie about what Iron Man has been doing mm-hmm. during this time. Once people know who he is, yeah, and I really maybe I should contact the author of that article to find out uh, how he stabilizes these relations because it's written by a Mister Rob Down. Yeah, that is, who yeah. clearly is just a a nod to Mister Robert Downey Jr. Thought that was a fun little thing that the graphics department came up with. Oh, you know what's funny? <laughs> now, that's hilarious because I looked at that and I went, 
Because every time I see stuff like this, when I when we mentioned this an earlier minute about the blueprints and stuff, mm-hmm. I always think like if you're a designer, this is when the inconsequential stuff happens like that, you just you throw in names of your friends or your relatives. Oh, sure. You know, right? right. But yeah, I guess you're right. That is Rob. Yeah. Rob, Rob down. Uh, next name tops up is uh, Matthew Libatique. I'm hoping that's the way you pronounce it because it, it's super fun to say. Yes. He is the director of photography or uh, sometimes known as the cinematographer. Uh, if you watch any of the behind the scenes stuff, you will see him because uh, not only is he uh, handsome, but he also has a very Brian Grazer esque hairstyle. He has these like oh. these black hair is uh, up in these really high spikes. Uh, he's all over the place and then the behind the scenes stuff because he's the DOP. So every time they're going to do anything with the camera, he's your guy. Uh, he actually has done a ton of work with Mr. Darren Aronofsky. So you know that he knows his stuff. Uh, those are very, very visual movies. Uh, he recently shot A Star is Born, Venom, oh, wow. Wow. and Birds of Prey. Oh. So he has a, a very, very distinctive visual style. Uh, and if you're wondering, ASC stands for the American Society of Cinematographers. Hmm. And Rob, I think we're now to the point where we figured out what this round thing that Ivan is making actually is. So it, it's 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 lighting up. He's applying liquid to it. It's got more. It's an arc reactor. He's made an arc. It's an reactor, arc reactor. Though. He made an arc reactor. Just in like a matter Cody. of two and a half minutes, or, <laughs> or, or more pro- probably actually like more like four or five months. Yeah, yeah, that's about true. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the next name that pops up is Alan Fine. Alan Fine is the uh, Marvel. He's a Marvel producer, but he's like Marvel producer to the extreme because his name is attached to almost all of their TV projects, either live or animated, like Netflix, ABC, Fox, The Web. Whenever they're doing a Marvel project, he is producing it. Um, so much so that he actually even produced the Marvel Phineas and Ferb crossover. Oh wow! Jeez. <laughs> Um, let's see. A name you might recognize is Stan Lee. Excelsior. Exactly. I don't think we need to go into Stan Lee because we all know and love Stan Lee. Rest in peace. Uh, David Mazel also produced a little film you might have heard of, Rob. It was called The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> I and have heard of it. He did uh, both Angry Birds movies. Oh. There was a second? I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a second. Actually, and I was... Uh, I was invited to watch it by my youngest daughter, and I, and I saw it. <laughs> Let's move on to Dennis L. Stewart, <laughs> who is usually a first assistant director, but here he is a producer. Uh, one thing I thought interesting, I always loved digging through people's IMDb and finding something. He was an assistant director on Fair Game, which is the Cindy Crawford action movie, which oh, if you have not seen that movie... So anyone who says Iron Man 2 is a terrible movie well, needs no to see that, but... Fair Game, the Cindy Crawford action movie, because, wow, I it's hard to describe the amount of time and money that was spent on that movie and to have it fail on, on such a level. I, I cannot even convey to you how terrible this movie is and how many people must have worked so hard on it. It's astoundingly bad yeah if only the mst3 k guys were allowed to be let loose on that wait when did that movie come out no it was in the mid 90s 90 oh 95 okay much later yeah 95 yeah 
<laughs> so, uh, I'm telling with, you, there's a whole swan. Yes, with William Baldwin. Yes. Yeah, one of the lesser Baldwins. Uh, yeah. There's a whole series of movies from the 90s that I feel like are, that seems to be the recurring theme here in Iron Man 2 uh, that you that, shout out. But yeah, like that is, it's, it is, whew, it's, it is, it is a uh, splash of cold water on a hot day. Kind of that bad. is, <laughs> that, that is a move. That's a movie that that's one of those 90s movies you can forget about. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. All right. I wish I could. Uh, the next name is is another okay. So if there's if there's a holy trinity of the MCU, uh, then this man's name uh, should be right next to it, and that's Luis D. Esposito. He has produced every movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, he is the Brian Grazer to uh, the Ron Howard of Kevin Feige. Yes, that's that's two Brian Grazer references. There's not going to be a third because I can't think of what it would be. Um, but he, he, anytime you ever see this stuff, he is also known as a, a very distinctive look to him, so he you can uh, always spot him in all the groups. But he is usually when there's any um, big wigs gathered, Louis D'Esposito is there. Uh, Susan Downey is named right there. You might recognize that last name because, yes, indeed, she is Robert Downey Jr.'s wife. She co-produces almost all of his projects. Nice. Kevin Feige, again, enough said. Like we've done, we've talked a lot about Kevin Feige in the past, and will in the future. Uh, he is the architect, uh, and he is still going strong. Uh, and it turns out that uh, light bulbs scare Arena because the next thing we see uh, him mess with power. So uh, what I get from this is that since he's has his arc reactor that he's creating and he has to start it up. Um, you need power to make power so that he has to like sort of kickstart. So I think that's what the whole adding in the power, and then like the, the lights flicker and, and go like you have to like it. And then once it's, then it's become self-sustaining once it goes off. I think cause he had to, didn't have to charge it up in the first one. Was well, that part of the right. Well, okay. And a car one, battery to originally get right. it sort of going. Right there, right there was a part of that. Um, now between these names, when you go to the executive producers, right yep. as those names come up, and Favreau's in there as well too, mm-hmm. uh, we see him turn on what looks like the top of uh, some sort of gas tank, and a glowing gas starts to come vertically out, and you can see it come through the the hose. <laughs> yes, this is what we were referring to at the show opening. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know not, what that is. Clearly I, not sodium because it's no, not yellow. It's because it's no, it's blue. And it's not neon because it's not red. See, right. I was listening, Rob. Oh, you were. Wow. Well, nicely done. It's not mercury. Well, it's not, and I don't think it's argon because nope. it's no, noble gas. It's the third most uh, abundant gas in Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Like maybe it's the gaseous form of unobtainium. <laughs> well, anyway, whatever it is, it it does the trick because as soon as he goes goes ahead and puts that forward and he clicks a switch mm-hmm. and then boom, there's a power surge, blows out some light bulbs. The bird gets scared. Mm-hmm. And oh, then poor Arena. It, I know she'll be okay, but I think. Uh, and as we can see now, he's got it, it goes right then to the next name that you're about to get to. Mm-hmm. There is what we absolutely can see as an arc reactor, and it is sitting on a table and it is under its own power. There it is. He's got an arc reactor, and things have changed in the MCU. Now, don't you say at that moment, I said to myself, Now, here's where I, I can be, even I can be critical of this movie. Mm hmm. And this is not my most critical moment that comes later, <laughs> but I will just say I, I sat there and said, "Well, gee, Ivan, too bad you weren't this motivated before your dad died." <laughs> I mean, true. Like, what's the difference? You had yeah. the blueprints this whole time. Like, That's dude, right. really? Seriously? Know, it's, it's that I don't know. I guess I see. I feel like I have to defend this now too. But there's <laughs> there is a a thing out there where 
once it's it's the four minute mile. So okay, here's here's I'm, I'm going to do a couple of digressions here. Okay, nice, so nice. Stephen Stephen King wrote about this in in one of his stories, and so I've always like kept this in my head. Um, back in like the the 1930, I would say this is off the top of my head, so I don't have all the the proper names and dates and things. But he said like like the 1930s, scientists proved no one could ever run a four minute mile. They did all the measurements of like what the the maximum length of a human leg is, what the muscle is, what like the like the fast thing. Like they said, like it's just physically impossible. Like the human body cannot run that fast. And then someone did. They like yeah. at the at the Olympics, they ran the four minute mile and like and beat it. And like everyone was like, "What? Well, that's it's really impossible." And then from then, now everybody does it. Like it's that's like a common thing. It's like if you're any kind of runner, you can beat the four minute mile if you you know with training and professionalism. But why? Like what changed? But then and it was because someone did it. Now everyone can do it. Right. It's that thing of like once it, like you can see it happen. It's the same way in video games. I can't beat that guy. I can't beat that guy. You watch someone beat that guy and you go, oh, all right, then you can just do it. Well, you could have done it before. Your skills haven't changed, but you power, saw it happen. The and power so of the mind. Power of the mind. Yeah, exactly. It's mind. like my mind over, over physical. And it's, it's that thing of once it's established in the that the universe will allow something to happen, then other people can recreate that thing. And well, doesn't here we mean- have the arc reactor? It's someone recreated the thing. But the name that pops up here is actually Justin Thoreau. And you're like, wait a minute, Justin Thoreau? Like, yeah, the actor Justin Thoreau, known for Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. I know yeah. him from Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Perhaps you saw him in a small independent film called Star Wars The Last Jedi. <laughs> He uh, like actually he actually is predominantly known for television because he was on Six Feet Under, he was on Sex and the City, Parks and Rec for a while, and uh, he was the star, I would say, the lead of The Leftovers, uh, Damon Lindelof's show on HBO. Uh, so you're like, why the heck is that guy who boss away is goddamn handsome? Uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> Come on, uh, why is he writing this movie? Well, he's writing it because of a little film called Tropic Thunder. Because he wrote *Tropic Thunder* and was and was also appeared in the movie, and like RDJ thought he was fantastic, and like they they're like figuring out how they want to do Iron Man two, and he's like, I just met this kid when I was off in Hawaii shooting this movie, uh, and so they brought him in, and so he is the sole credited screen. There's four screenwriters on Iron Man, and from what we're told, there probably should be more, right. uh, but he is the sole credited writer of this movie. Um, he is not really predominantly known as a writer. He wrote Tropic Thunder, obviously. He wrote Rock of Ages, and he wrote Zoolander 2, uh, which I think he would probably agree he would not want to have on his tombstone. No, no. Um, but uh, yeah, he they brought it, and, and they it wasn't just one of those like, hey, we're going to sit in a room for a couple weeks. We're going to bang this thing out. You go write it, and off we go. No, no, no. <laughs> Justin Thoreau was then brought onto the set and had to rewrite the movie every day. Like he would have to be like writing new scenes and handing them out to the people to do later on. And we're going to get into how insane that got later on. But to say that this movie was written under the gun and as they were shooting is an understatement. So, but I give him credit. Like he showed up like, you know, like he actually was a working actor and didn't have to, but like he was there every day, you know, banging out the pages to, to make sure they had something to shoot for the next day. So Justin Thoreau, we're going to talk about him a lot as the thing goes by. Again, and, and as you know, 
like a lot of industries, you don't want to know how the sausage is actually made. Right. This is this, this does really happen. <laughs> I think sometimes. that's the 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 title of the making of for this. <laughs> we don't want to know how the sausage gets made. The yeah, because you know why? Because there might be a few boids in the sausage. Oh, anyway. Now, I should just notice this though. If somebody if somebody's listening to this and saying, "Wait, Justin Thoreau, okay, like I'm just trying to place him," and yeah. you said Last Jedi, I did, and they go, "What?" what? What role does he have in Last Jedi? <laughs> Go ahead, tell him. <laughs> well, he's the he's the well. I don't want to say it's the okay. When they go to the to the casino planet, huh? he's the yeah, gambler the in the white jacket who they think they're after, but yeah. it's never really determined. Is that the guy they were after? It's supposed. I, I think that that's the impression I got is that's the guy they were supposed to meet up with because he oh. had the flower and you know like the, like all the stuff. So he basically in that he's just playing suave debonair like hey like yeah. I'm the master hacker how are yeah. you? Uh, but then they end up with you know another character, <laughs> another character who's great and I love. Are we thinking of the same one? I we are. And his there's lines about there's many lines. That's for another podcast someday. We will talk about that, sir. <laughs> All right. As the credits move on, and we move on from Star Wars, which is very difficult for us to do, uh, we come to uh, the Maestro himself, directed by Mr. John Favreau. And I love the placement of this again. Yeah. You know, once the, again, the, yeah, that's one of the one of the perks of being a director. You get to choose where your name shows up. Well, okay, because here's what I love about this. It's so we just said the the arc reactor's lit up. It's powered, and there's this wonderful shot. It goes to uh, facing front of Mickey Rourke, mm-hmm. uh, playing the character of Ivan, and he starts to smile, and he's just like, ah, "I did it right." Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to this wonderfully lit side shot, profile shot of him, and he's just got this really genuine smile. I mean. It's almost it's almost unnerving because here he is in this dark space. You can see all the his, his the metals in his teeth. He's grimy and everything, mm-hmm. but the smile is so genuine. And just as that lights up, he just lights up with it. Directed mm-hmm. by John Favreau, yeah. Which I just think, okay, that's the the mental message that delivers is awesome. Like, look, I love what I'm doing here. Like this, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The, the light of the, the screen on his face in this yeah. case, the arc director on his face. Yeah. And, uh, we go from that. We smash to the title, ladies and gentlemen, Iron Man two with a big clonk. And, and that's the end, the, end of, yeah, the end of the minute. Yeah, it's the minute and the end of the title sequence. Now so, I'd really go ahead. So go let's, ahead. Let's, let's, I'll say, let's reflect on the, these five minutes. So, yeah. I gotta say, like at this point, I'm on board. Like I, I like I, I, I like we, we see we don't know what his history is at this point, but we see this guy. He's got beef with Tony. We don't know why, but he did what no one else in the world could do. Right. He even what uh, all the scientists and everyone who were working for Obadiah Stain could not do. Tony Stark did this in a cave. You know. Um, we he has done so he has created the arc reactor uh you know that and 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 so and basically and has a a a grudge to settle and like and he's he's on the warpath we know these two are going to come to Clyde and like okay like let's I, I this let's see where this goes like i'm 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 legitimately excited by this point like i said i've had the little quibbles on name but like at this point yeah all right let's see where we go from here Here's what here's what's great about this in terms of five minutes. You have a first of all, you've gotten connection to the character that you know and you've already grown to love, which is Iron Man. You know mm-hmm. that his story has progressed. 
Mm -hmm. You're introduced to a new character. You understand his pain. You understand who he is and what he knows. You understand his motivation, which we've know we have talked about. Sometimes motivation isn't always Mm. clear cut. Yeah. This motivation is absolutely clear cut. It has been telegraphed to the viewer and we are five minutes in. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it is a ni- is a, a really good way to start this movie. Like yes. to to not start with uh hey, it's Tony Stark, he's Iron Man, he's flying around like to start out with this like like you know what we would not expect which is a you know a, a grimy room somewhere right. in the in the poor part of Moscow. They'd be like, "Oh, okay, this is I, I thought we were going for the Iron Man scene. What what's where is this?" So, well, yeah. You've had a you had a character's death. Right, You've had a, a, a clearly a well cared for cockatoo. Yeah, <laughs> what's with the bird? We'll be what's asking for the next hundred minutes. No, I really like this. I I love this opening. I'm looking forward to more. Mm-hmm. I hope you are too, because uh, we'll be here to uh, continue on our journey. Because we're about to meet the title character. <laughs> in the next minute how about that uh uh, in the meantime if you want to talk more about uh, what we've seen we have a little place on facebook that's right we're not just like posting like people do no we have a special group we've established it's called the marvel movie minute and next real film podcast executive lounge i have not said that in a while and i'm actually surprised i got all the words out it really did no you did that well because i know that's a tough thing to say yeah it is uh but it's not hard to find because next real dot i mean uh but it's not that hard to find because you go to <laughs> facebook.com slash group slash the next reel and you'll find it. Uh, we ask for you to ask for admission because we're trying to keep out the bots and the weirdos. Uh, everybody else is welcome. Though uh, Russians are allowed now. Russians are allowed now. This, this I don't just... wait. I don't know if we've ever not allowed Russians. Let me just, let me, let me, I misspoke. <laughs> wait, were we discriminating against Russians? Uh, no, we were not. I'm just discriminating against bots. We have, we have a real problem with bots as Facebook does because yeah. Facebook is terrible, but our group is fantastic and we guarantee to make your time on Facebook 5% better. And it's not oh, minimum 5%. Minimum five, I would start from 5%. And you can feel safe there because you can just you can ask questions. You yeah. can talk about things yeah. that you want to talk about. We, we get we get very uh, like Discord. We have intelligent conversations on the Facebook group. We get pretty silly on. Oh yeah, Facebook. Oh no, it's oh that's that's why you have the two different places. Yeah, that, you know just, what? I, I, what I'm really been enjoying is memes, Marvel yeah. memes. There you go. Great, Facebook is a great place for those. There you go. So uh, that that gives you something to do while you're waiting for the next thing to come around. Uh, so as we get to minute number six and we meet uh, our title character. So thank you for listening. Uh, we will see you here for minute six. Enough said. Bye. <laughs>